For those of you that are just joining us, maybe this is your first time or you're visiting, we've been going through this chapter on love, looking uh, based on what Jesus told us in the Gospel of Matthew, that the most important thing the follower of Jesus could ever comprehend or understand or do is to love well, to love God and to love neighbor. Uh, And so we've turned to Paul, his description uh, of what love is and what love is not, asking the Holy Spirit to be able to move these things into our hearts as a church, also individually. So we've just been slowly looking at every word and description in this chapter um, with our prayer that God would, would make us into a loving group of people by his spirit. Uh, so right now we're, we're in verse 7. Let's just start at verse 4, and we'll read verse 4 through 7, and then we'll hone in on a single phrase here. Paul says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we come before you with hearts that are thirsty for love, to be loved and also to be enabled to show love Uh, in a world, in a country, in a city, in a life that can sometimes feel so... uh, so lacking in some of those things. We, we want it, we long for it, and we see it in you. Uh, we see in you, Christ, just the love, the love of God in flesh and blood, in actual words and in actual life and seen most vividly in your death and resurrection. So we open our Bibles today hearing the word of the Lord and looking to the Lord himself, asking that you would change us from the inside out. Give us a taste of what it means uh, to be loved by you today. We ask that this would happen for your glory and that other people may experience the love of God as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to look at that single phrase right in the middle of verse 7, love believes all things. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. There's an Irish proverb that says, when mistrust comes in, love goes out. When mistrust comes in, love goes out. That is basically what I believe is being inferred by the text before us. Trust and love go together. They are inseparable. Uh, and this is what love does. That word, uh, the word in the translation I'm using, love believes all things. That word there means specifically, not that uh, it, it agrees with or accepts everything that is told, but rather that belief there speaks of confidence. That love puts confidence in people uh, the, the vast majority of time. We could say it this way. I, I love how the the new, in, uh, new International Version translates it. It says it's, it always trusts. It's a heart of belief and trust in other people. You could say it this way. Love has this enthusiastic confidence in people. It's always looking, to put it this way, love is always looking for the golden people. 
And it always seems to find the golden people. Even when there's no gold to be found, love seems to be able to find the very best in people. And if it's not there, it's just mining the depths. Uh, no matter how broken, no matter how messed up people or situations are, that's just how love is. It's always looking, always wondering, always looking for more. There's always more in the mind of love. Uh, I can't help but think of uh, my son Jude, who just turned three, and he eats everything. He's just, a, he's like this big, he's three years old, but he eats everything. He'll eat a truckload of food, he'll eat the truck if he could fit his mouth around it. And one of my favorite things about just life in general is just dinner with my boy, my son. Because he will, I, I kid you not, there will be times where he will eat the same amount of food as an adult sitting right next to him with no shame. I don't know how he does it. He's this big. And he just, I think, I think I figured out his trick though. Not all of the food actually ends up into his stomach. It's sometimes just in other places, just face and hair. But he just loves eating. He loves meals. He lives for it. The second you say dinner or lunch, generally speaking, he rushes to the table. And I Specifically last night, we were up late, um, Jude was awake, so he came out in the living room, he was hanging out with mom and me, and he wanted a snack, and we didn't have very many snacks in the house at that time, we had a bag of pirate booty, if you've ever uh, had some of that, it's super good, and he got that bag, and he went through a half a bag, that's all that was left, and he just, he had this bowl, and he just started devouring it, just pushing fistfuls of pirate booty in mouth over and over until it was gone. All of a sudden, there's just crumbs in his bowl. He starts licking the bowl, sticking face in bowl, tipping bowl, crumbs fall onto the seat. He picks crumbs off seat, smears it on face. And every time he runs out of food, this is the, the same, he says the same thing almost every time, more, more. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be fruit. It could be veggies. It could be refried beans. It could be uh, taco meat. It could be, uh, it could be a smoothie. It could be pirate booty. But every time he's done... He always wants more. And last night, Brianna and I look at him after he uh, ate our entire kitchen, and we said, there's no more left. And it's at this point that Jude falls apart. It's almost as if he thinks we're lying to him. Like we have this, this like Y2K hoarder stash of pirate booty that we're just keeping from him in the basement for just such an occasion. And he will just, he'll start his bottom lip will jut out a little bit like this, and he'll get these crocodile tears, and he'll have his bowl, and he'll look at us like we're starving him. <laughs> and he'll say, more, more, and we'll just say, well, you ate it all, buddy. we got to go to the store again, you know? <laughs> and he's always, always wanting more food. Now, where Jude is that way with food, love is that way with people. Love is always looking for more. It is never satisfied. But instead of looking for food, like pirate booty, love is always looking for the gold. It is always looking, even when that person seems hopeless, even when that person has disappointed you over and over, even when that person has broken your heart, even when they have done the thing that, they, that you expect, kind of expected them to do a thousandth time, love is always relentless in its pursuit of the good in the other person. It longs for it. That's what I think Paul means when he says that love believes all things. It's always wanting more. Now, you have to ask yourself, 
what if someone has broken trust? You know, as one translation, uh, translation puts it, love, uh, love always trusts. Well, what if people break your trust? Uh, I don't know if you know any people in your life, but if you have for more than a minute, you've probably experienced broken trust, burnt bridges, hurt feelings. What do you mean, love always trusts? That doesn't even make sense. You know, the first thing I think of is that comic, Peanuts comic, uh, where uh, Charlie Brown gets the chance to hit, uh, kick the football, and Lucy always gets him uh, to, to kick the football, but she never actually lets him do it. Every time he trusts her with it, he pulls the ball away. And every time, she is somehow uh, tries to compel him to trust her, and, he, and she breaks the trust. Now, where that actually makes it into the, a funny newspaper clipping or a comic, most of us can understand that, but it's not so funny, Right? A lot of us in this room, I think we know that person or that situation where they have just done it for the umpteenth time. And we're like, I, I'm not trusting you anymore. Are you tired of getting hurt? Tired of being let down? So what does love mean in a situation like that? Does that mean we've got to keep kicking the football and falling on our backs over and over? I don't think so. Love always trusts, but to put it in the words of one scholar, it doesn't mean... It is gullible. Love isn't gullible. It's that it prefers to be generous in its openness and acceptance rather than being suspicious or cynical all the time. What we're talking about here is a mindset. We're talking about a mindset where love errs. It would prefer to err on seeing the best in other people, even when they're at their worst. No matter, how get they, no matter how bad they get, there's always more to that person. And love is after the more. It's after the better. It's after the gold. What do we do? And, uh, or I should just make this personal. What do I find myself doing in place of that? I tend to see the worst. That's not even when people break my trust. I'm just a naturally cynical person. I like to call myself a recovering cynic. Uh, now, sometimes seeing the worst is almost semi-warranted when that person has just continually breached our trust, right? Just protecting ourselves. Now, what Paul is not saying here, before we get to what he is saying, we should probably start with what he's not saying. Paul is not saying that we need to, if we're loving people, we need to be gullible and trust people to not do what we've seen them repeatedly do time and again. Paul is not saying we need to be gullible doormats who trust people to do what we've seen them not do time and time and again. He's not saying that. In a case like that, trust has been broken. And you can't control things like that like you can contr- uh, in the same way that you can't control your emotions. Someone makes you upset, went through a whole series on the emotions, right, in a godly way to process emotions. It starts with being honest with them. And you can't just pretend like you're not angry. And in the same way, you can't pretend like you're not sad. A lot of destructive behaviors come from Christians who pretend that they're not feeling certain things. In the same way, trust is uh, very, uh, very related to an emotional feeling. It's actually a biological chemical reaction of the brain where your brain floods your body with a chemical for you to feel more trusting of other people. And you can't just turn that off. You can't just 
try to respect someone that you have no respect for. You can't just be happy or attracted to somebody that you're not. You can't turn those things off. But what you can do is cultivate an environment where that trust can grow. What you can do is cultivate an environment where your anger can be dealt with and healed and you can be released from that. What you can do is process grief and sadness so that you can experience joy and healing. What you can do with, a, with broken trust or a lack of trust is to deal with it in a healthy way. Now, you might not be able to force yourself to trust a particular person who has broken trust, but you can, with love, desire that that trust would be rebuilt. You can become a person who is trusting, who longs to trust people who have broken your heart, broken your feelings, betrayed you, abandoned you, hurt you, disappointed you, let you down. You might not be able to flip the switch in that moment, but if love is in you, you can desire to move forward and to be reconciled and to rebuild bridges. This isn't about forcing yourself to trust someone who is, who is uh, not giving you reason to trust them. This is about you becoming a person who is full of love and just has a natural disposition to want to see the best in other people. You might not trust a particular person. They might have let you down, but you might be able to look at that person and say, I believe that this can work. Paul isn't talking here about doubt, but I think he's talking here about cynicism. Quite different than doubt, which we all experience if we're in broken, hurting, normal, natural relationships, we all encounter doubt and hurt. We, always, we sometimes second-guess people. I don't think Paul is talking here about that when he says that love is always believing, always trusting. I think he's talking about cynicism. Quite different than doubt, which we might all struggle with from time to time, cynicism is, an, is a predisposition, not a case-by-case thing, but an entire way of looking at all people. It is a predisposition to be skeptical or suspicious. It's coming from me, who's quite advanced in the art of being a cynic, like to think, as I said before, as myself as a recovering cynic, it's often rooted, sometimes rooted, in, in wounds in the past. So it might have been that one person who let you down or let you down repeatedly, but soon, if you don't deal with it, becomes everybody who's probably going to let you down. You develop this natural disposition to not trust anybody, to not open up to anybody, to feel that everybody is out to get you. Everyone is suspect. You're skeptical of everything and everyone. All of a sudden, that's just the lens by which you view things. I think that is what Paul is speaking about when he says love believes all things. It has a different predisposition to life. It's not that you're naive. It's not that you somehow falsely think that people are always going to be perfect and they're always going to be there for you. It's just a natural way of approaching life. I am going into this thing with a sense of vulnerability and risk because I want to open myself to people who are imperfect. Cynicism is a, is a way of viewing everybody. And it's sometimes rooted in things that have happened in, in your past. We're essentially attempting to protect ourselves from further harm. It's just, a, it's just a, an expression of self-preservation. Well, this person hurt me. That person hurt me. This institution, this church, this group of people, that company, that people group. 
well, I'm going to wall myself off from further harm. You end up walling yourself off from people in general, including the love that you might experience from other people. Our cynicism towards other people might even be a reflection of our distrust towards God as well. Perhaps if you were honest with yourself, you would say, if I can't trust people who I can see, how can I trust a God who I can't see? Especially if I initially learned about God from people who hurt me. Anybody been, uh, here been hurt by a Christian? No? Probably not, huh? <laughs> you know, this may seem safe. I'm going to wall myself off from further harm by not trusting anybody. But it's actually, it actually turns out to be more dangerous than you realize. Because when we wall off ourselves from God... And we wall ourselves off from people in whom we experience a large degree of God. We end up walling ourselves off from a huge source of life. God himself is life. We experience that not only in our personal relationship to God, but also through God's people. And I love what Paul says in one of his sermons in Acts chapter 17, where he says uh, in verse 26, he's, he's speaking to these Athenians, and he says, Uh, The reason God made you, and I'm going to make this personal to you, the reason God made you Santa Barbarans is that you might, verse 26, he made from one person every people group of mankind, including people here in Santa Barbara, to live on all the face of the earth, including here in Santa Barbara, thank God, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God. I want you to stop there. God made you so that you would seek God. That's your whole purpose in life. There's a lot that comes out of that, but that's where it starts. That's why when Jesus called his disciples later in the book of Mark chapter three, he would say, would say he, he called to himself apostles and disciples that they might be with him. And then he would send them out original design of God, that you would be with him. Keep reading. Uh, That they would seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him, listen to this, in God we live and move and have our being. Or literally, in him we find our existence. We're created to be with God. And as you read through the rest of the New Testament, you find that it's, it includes with his people. And so to cut yourself off from any part of that is actually to cut yourself off from a source of spiritual life. Perhaps you're doing that because you're trying to protect yourself from being hurt again. And I get that. Maybe one of the questions you're asking right now is, does God really have my best interests in mind? Maybe you're at the point where you're like, I know people don't. Perhaps over the years, your heart has been calloused to people. It's been walled off, walled over, cemented by hurt and mistrust and damage that has happened over and over. Perhaps you're so calloused inside that you're not looking at God and you're saying, there's no way I'm going to trust you. There's no way I'm going to be vulnerable and open up myself to you. And maybe you're asking, in all honesty, does God really have my best interests in mind. How do I know that if I don't open this up a little bit that he's not gonna just stick it to me? Um, 
I want you to I want to recognize in you right now perhaps a, a glimmer of trust opening up. That maybe you, you've been asking all of those things of people and of God and yet you're here. Maybe you've never come to church before. Maybe you haven't been in years. Maybe this is the last place you would ever think you would find yourself after years of being hurt and yet you're here. I don't know what brought you here, but I know you're here. And I want to say, that is a step of bravery and courage. Perhaps you didn't even know it, but God was just trying to prod your heart and open up some glimmers of trust behind your back. The truth is, even though we might say, I I can see people and they hurt me, how can I trust a God who I can't see? God, years ago, decided to put himself on display to be seen by people in his son, Jesus Christ. No longer to be this this kind of abstract idea that we kind of think about in the heavens somewhere. He put himself on display in flesh and blood in his son, Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews tells us that when we see Jesus, we actually, or in John, we see the Father himself. Hebrews tells us that when we're looking at Jesus, we see the radiance and expression of the Father in pure form. Meaning that when you see Jesus, you see what love is supposed to look like. When you see Jesus, you see what God really is because Jesus is God. You're saying, but I don't see him now. And yet he has revealed his life to us. He's revealed his words, his actions, his behaviors, his ambitions, his dreams, his teachings. Most vividly, he's revealed his plan by dying, giving himself up for people who have a hard time trusting. For all of you who have said, I've tried to trust people and they've broken me down. They've broken my trust, they've ripped me off, they've stabbed me in the back. I want to introduce to you for the first time maybe in your life a person who will never do that, who has given his life to people who are walled off. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're you're a, a Christian, and you want a way out of a cynical life, here's a way to start. You can start by looking at yourself more honestly. It almost always starts with self-reflection, doesn't it? Self-reflection with God. I can't help but think of that parable that Jesus uh, told of the speck in the eye and the log in the eye. I think this is a great practice of self-awareness. I'll just read Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5. Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. doesn't mince words. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is incredible, because what Jesus is saying here is not that we can't be helping people take the specks out, but that before we do, we had better make really good sure. We We better be very sure that we look at the stuff going on inside of us before we start looking at other people. For myself, I have noticed that I tend to be way more gentle and calm and patient and understanding with people after I have been throttled by my own self-reflection. 
I have found that when I get upset at people and I stop and pause to look at what's going on in my life, I tend to be doing the same things in a different way maybe that that person is doing that, that I'm, I'm grilling them for. Jesus is inviting us into a practice of self-awareness and self-reflection, a great tool that actually helps us to be able to see the best in others. Because once I understand how broken I am, how, how I fall short of the very standard I set up for people, I tend to look at them in a different lens. I tend to see, I tend to, I tend to see more gold in other people after I've seen my lack of it. You, it's also to see that what you need most in this life is not really to fix everybody around you. What most of us need most in this life is not to fix everybody around us, but to allow the Lord to heal us. The best thing that you have to offer to the world is not a bunch of solutions for people's lives, it's a transformed life. The best thing you can offer to a world that is sick and hurting is a transformed you. There's absolutely nothing that will compare to that in your tool belt. So we can start as followers of Jesus by looking at ourselves honestly. Okay, Lord, why am I so cynical? God, could you just expose what's going on inside of me? What's going on? Where have I got it wrong? Where do you want to do some heart work in me? And the second thing we could do is look to God. To be fair... And I say this because, to be fair, sometimes people don't deserve your trust. <laughs> sometimes trust is broken, and there's not a lot you can do that except slowly rebuild it. And if we were honest with ourselves, the world is full of people that we probably shouldn't trust with certain things. There's monsters, as my daughter describes it, monsters under the bed. There's tyrants. There's unjust rulers and politicians. There are people that are abusive. There are people who have broken trust over and over. Are we supposed to believe the best about them? Are we supposed to give them everything? I don't think Paul is telling us here that we have to give people like that unmerited trust. And I don't think what Paul is teaching is that love places its belief in them. I think what he's alluding to here is that love believes everything because its belief is grounded in God. Even Jesus operated this way. If Jesus is love incarnate, just look at how, how Jesus interacted with people and with God. Look at John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. This will be on the screen. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many people began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them. That's interesting. Because he knew all about people. Don't you love that line? That is about as honest as it gets. Some of you are feeling that way and you feel bad about it. Hey, Jesus did the same. Jesus didn't trust certain people because he knew all about them. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. And yet I don't think anyone here would describe Jesus as a cynic. I think we would describe him as someone who gave his life up for people that were rotten. And yet here, he doesn't just trust the crowds. He doesn't just, just uh, 
uh, trust everything that they're going to do because he, he knows them. Who does Jesus entrust with everything? Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Think if you were to read the, uh, Jesus' life story, you would see incredible and increasing trust in his Father. Who does, who does Jesus trust with everything? His Father. His trust is not always grounded in whether people are going to disappoint him or not. His trust is in the fact that his Father will never disappoint him. His Father will never let him down. His Father will always be there for him. But that also enables the Son to give freely to people who will let him down and not be completely derailed by it. I would love to live in that place. In the same way, this text shows us that our hope is not wrapped up in the merit of the person who bums you out or who may be truly awful, but in God who watches over us, who can change situations and outcomes and can even change the heart of the person who is breaking you down. And it's in that situation that love rushes to the top and says, I believe that this situation can be changed. I believe that this person can be changed. And you know what? If I'm going to be completely honest with myself, I believe that I can be changed too. Love believes in stuff like that. Love holds out. It sees the gold. It's always asking, always more. Do you find yourself to be more cynical than you would like to be? Have you noticed that that's kind of cutting off relationships in your life? As we move into a time of singing together, we begin to sing. Perhaps the best thing that you could do this morning is to ask yourself, are there any untreated wounds in me that are causing me to put up walls towards God, towards other people, whatever? Am I putting up walls David does this in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I I love this prayer of David. It's almost like he's saying, God, I know there's probably things in there that I'm not aware of. I know they're ruining me right now. Could you just expose them, move them out, and lead me in the path of life and freedom. Any of you want that today? I know I do. I've made a, I've already filled a pathway in my life at this point in my life with people who I have, I have hurt and pushed down. As the saying goes, hurt people hurt people. And I have become very advanced at that. And I'm tired of that. I look at the life of Jesus and I see a man, a God-man, who is able to freely give to people regardless of what they give him in return because his heart is so full of a love that comes from another place. His trust, his belief transcends whether people are going to be there for him. And that enables him to live freely 
and radically and spontaneously in the moment. And he is not controlled by what the crowds want. I want to live there. Some of you, if you're Christians, you can start. We can start. I can start during worship by looking at ourselves honestly, looking to God, and asking if there's anything that we're not aware of, any hurts, any pains that are causing ourselves to set up walls. But maybe some of you find that you don't know God at all. Maybe you're, as, you're praying this prayer, Psalm 139, you're like, I, I think I know God. I'm not sure if I do. I think I'm a Christian. I'm not sure. Maybe you've gone to church a lot of times, but you, you still live the same way as everyone else. You, you're, you're, you're struggling with fear and anger, and you're living for you know, the next paycheck, and you're asking yourself, this doesn't match the abundant life that I've heard about. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you've just been going to church because that's what your parents or your friends done. But right now, at this moment, maybe God is tugging at your heart in a way that you've never encountered in your life. And you don't know what that is, and it's freaking you out. Maybe you're feeling for a moment, like we talked about earlier, there's a a glimmer of hope opening up, and you're asking yourself, is it okay to trust this God? What is that feeling that you're encountering right now? Some of you might be encountering that right now. That is God inviting you personally and specifically to trust again. Not to trust people who will let you down, but to trust him. And he's inviting you to trust him for the t- first time and to follow him. If that's you, if you're even sensing that right now, you know what you can do? You can allow him to, to step into your business. You can even pray, you can even pray underneath your breath, just a prayer, just saying as a, as a response to that, God, I feel like I've been running from you and from people this whole time. I want to stop that. I want to trust you for the first time. And there's nothing magical about your words or your prayer. But you're crystallizing what you might be sensing the Lord is working on in your heart right now. And you can, you can respond to that. If that's you, we often have prayer teams to the left and to the right during worship. They have lanyards on. You know, we, we come and get prayer for all sorts of things. So no one knows what you're getting prayer for, but... If that's you, you should, you should tell somebody. I think God is moving on my heart, and I don't know what to do. But I've responded. A love that believes all things always starts with a heart that believes in Jesus. For some of you, you might be believing in Jesus for the first time. For others, it's a thousandth time, and you're just getting back up and starting again. And you know what? Jesus will always be there, ready to start again with you. You know why? Because he sees the gold in you. Because he believes the best. Because he's planning on working the best, in planting the gold in people who had none for themselves. And so whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, Jesus will never stop waiting for you to get back up. In fact, if you're looking, you might notice that he reaches out a hand and pulls you up with him. Because Jesus himself believes all things on your behalf. He loves you. And for those of you that have given up on life, perhaps it's the only thing that you need to hear right now. He loves you, and he has not given up on you. 
Heavenly Father, as we sing, worship through music and the sacraments and through the response of our bodies, kneeling, sitting, standing, raising our hands, closing our eyes, all of those ways, I ask God that you would... uh, you would reach out to people who are locked up, who are calloused in their hearts, who are walled off, who are locked down. I just ask that you would begin to draw us out of hiding. There's people in this room, God, there's some people who've been through a lot, but you know it. You know what they've been through. You've seen it. God, I just want to pray that your presence would be tangible to them today, that they would sense your nearness, that they would begin to open up again. I thank you for your word. It says in Isaiah 42 that a bruised reed you will never break, a smoldering wick you will not snuff out. You're not like that. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. So I just want to pray for all the bruised reeds in the building all the smoldering wicks that feel like their flame is about to go out. And I want to ask that God, in your mercy and in your love, you would restore that fire once again. In Jesus' name, amen.